you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're continuing on in the month of july a little bit of the festival shows that we don't usually get to because well sometimes festivals aren't at the top of our minds unless it's like a big festival show that we know that is impacted the band and you know the ones we've done them all probably and this is going to be that show right here and this is one that i think was left off a lot of the scheduling years because I don't know why we shouldn't have left it off. But I think the fact that maybe doing a festival set list might've been a turn off a little bit, but this one is obviously not supposed to be a turn off for a festival set list. It is its own thing. And it was the sun festival, but nobody knows that by the sun fest, this mother is mud fest it's going to be dirty there are going to be songs that the the fans know every single word to in 10 there are going to be songs that the fans are hearing for the first time in verses it's going to be very good there's a lot to talk about randy sobel over here john farrar over there hello, hello are you ready to hear some real early verses stuff i feel like we haven't covered a lot in, in general we haven't covered a lot from 1993 but we definitely haven't done the verses songs prior to the record coming out. And we're kind of ending this. We've been on a long stretch of shows. This is the last one. You're right. Of nineties, of like 2003 and prior. <laughs> and, you know, and next week we're going to, we're going to time jump way up to the 2010s. But 
1993, you know, pre-Versus era. So the 10 songs are still technically the 10 era. Versus hadn't quite popped up, but a lot of those songs are getting played. They were working those in and some early versions here, which is very cool. But the thing that sticks out to me, and yeah, you mentioned, you know, it's it's known as Mudfest, but this is in Gimli, Manitoba, Canada, which is I don't a small know prairie about town. Gimli. Yeah. It's like north of Winnipeg. I looked it up. It's like on a lake. And this is like at a motorsport park. And it just shows the reach that they had in 1993. And like you said, kids there, a ton of people there singing along. They know the words. They have not gone back to Gimli, which again is north of Winnipeg, a very small prairie town. This is the kind of place that I think fits in more in the 1995 era that they're just looking for places that aren't. Yeah, probably more sheep than people, I would think, in, in Gimli. But home to an incredible show and this one it benefited from having a a very well put together video which we should talk about this was one of the earliest vhs you know must see bootlegs that people were trading around and like i didn't get really into like vhs trading until a little bit later on but you know you would see this one around and like people used to send you their list and stuff you know you'd get this list of shows there was one that you saw, Pearl Jam Mudfest. It went by a few different names, but yeah, this one, it's held in, in high regard by a, a big portion of the fan base. And just the visuals from this night alone make this very special, obviously. You know, I just want to get this out of the way very early on here, but it feels like it's misting there, but... It could be clods of dirt that are just getting kicked up from the crowd, but I don't know if they are or not, because if they were, then the whole entire band would have been hacking along the whole time. So do you think it's it's just like rain mist, or do you think it's legit dirt that's getting kicked around? It's one of those ones where it had been, I think, raining a lot during Prior the day. Mm-hmm. So the field or the park where this was could kind of turned into like a mud pit a little bit. But it looks like, you know, the band is pretty high up compared to where they are. So, I mean, you go into this and you, you know, you hear Mudfest, you know, you expect like, I think I referred, you know, references a couple weeks ago when we talked about doing it, like a Woodstock 94 kind of Green Day thing where you're going to be throwing heaps of mud and the band's going to be covered in mud. And like, it's really not that there isn't a point where they're just caked and it becomes the story of the show. But from some of the firsthand accounts that you've heard, like, it was pretty intense in the pit and in the crowd. Like there was definitely stuff getting kicked around and people, people came out of there pretty muddy. I mean, it, it, if you're going to call something mud fest, it's got to live up to that name. Yeah. I, and look, I think for, and I might've done this a little bit later than anticipated, but I went out and I, I kind of posted on our social medias like, Hey, is there anybody out there that was at this show? Because it's one of those shows that I feel like you really do need to hear from somebody. And we didn't find it. And I know I've talked to people that said that they were there. It's 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 so hard with all the people that we've talked to over the years. It's hard to remember, especially like Gimli in Canada, where it's not really the wheelhouse of Pearl Jam at all. It's hard to remember who's at what. Especially if it's just somebody that might have been commenting randomly on any thread. 
So we couldn't find anybody. I know they're out there, but to anybody that was at this show that does have those memories, we still want to hear about them because I think that is the best perspective that we can get from this. A lot of shows you can say that about. Obviously, you could probably say that about every single show that they've ever had. However, this one especially has such a unique storyline to it that I think it's impossible not to want to get that side of the story. And unfortunately, we weren't able to deliver that to you this week. Any other like top storylines from this? And, you know, we mentioned this being kind of a pre-versus show where they're still very early on in all these songs that they're doing. Animal, Glorified G, Blood being played for the eighth time. Like they're all Indifference being played for the sixth. Like they're yeah. all in very, very early stages here. And I guess it kind of reminds me a little bit of what is happening now. And this was the 21st show since Slim's. And you have to think, since going back to the Ohana's and See Here Now from last year, we're almost there. I think we're at 17 or so. But after European, we'll definitely be there. And... You know, you got like Animal and Glorified G and, and, and Go are all at like 14, 13 and, and Daughter, which was debuted well before this tour happened. I believe the Bridge School and played at New Year's Eve. It's at 19 now, but it, it's it's interesting to kind of compare because at this point, a lot of the Gigaton songs in the same spot where a lot of the Versus songs are, are starting to be debuted. There are so many that haven't hit like four or five plays yet. And and it's a different situation for it not being the year that they're supposed to be supporting the album. But it's just really interesting that all these songs are getting the attention that Gigaton should have. You're bumming me out now. I'm 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 bummed out now. It's supposed to be um, bummed out. It's just a, it's an observation. <laughs> I know. What Pearl Jam is doing with the Gigaton songs is unprecedented nearly in music history it goes against everything that artists and musicians have stood for for the last 70 years of of rock and roll and and even themselves like how many times have we talked about it like they have new songs they want to go play them they're busting out new songs before the album comes out here you are a couple of months before versus comes out and you're getting half the half the record already it's unprecedented and it doesn't make any sense. And there's only two possible explanations that I've come up with. The first one is that we have heard that Pearl Jam is working on a new record. And there is a possibility that they are heavily involved in the writing and recording of a new record right now. And when that happens, we've seen them kind of put everything else to the side. And we know that they're not going to debut new songs live because of YouTube and because they want, you know, to unveil the record as it is. And it could just be that they just aren't in love with these gigaton songs as much as they were two years ago because That's they, so weird. they're they working on new songs, but they still have to go play these shows. And so they're like, okay, we'll throw in a few every now and then. And maybe they're not as well rehearsed on them as they were two years ago. And that, that would be great. Like, I hope, you know, the day after whatever the the last tour date is in, in Denver or wherever it is this year, I hope that the very next day they drop the news, new record, 2023 tour, going back out there. That would be fan-fucking-tastic. 
the you other... kind of forget about Gigaton in 2023, though, if that yeah, were to yeah, happen. It's gonna be dancing the Yeah, you're gonna get exactly. The other possibility is that they're worried that they've been gone for too long, and they're worried that if they come out and play unfamiliar material, that they're not gonna get a good reaction to it. And I hope that that's not the case, because at the time of recording this, we don't know what happens in Budapest. We've just had the two London shows where they played in Hyde Park for 60,000 people. And we heard from from Aurelian, who was relaying those, the 10 songs are getting a good reaction. Everything else is not. And I wonder if they're worried that because they were gone for so long that if they try to go back and tour next year, that people are going to be like, yeah, when I went and saw them, they just played the new record. And like, that's not what I want to hear from them. And like, they're trying to balance being this legacy act with being this current relevant act and like having new songs. And maybe they're too insecure about playing more of the new songs. Cause yes, the set list are shorter. If they were doing 30, 35 songs a night, you'd be getting seven or eight gigaton songs every night. But they're not. I wonder if they're worried about alienating some of some of this crowd, and I hope that that's not the case. Yeah, they've never really worried about that before. Yeah. You go back to the Lightning yeah. Bolt tour, and on average, there would be seven songs per night. Whether people loved them or hated them, there were some songs that but really they were doing didn't stick around live every night back then. Yeah, they, they were. You're right. You're you're absolutely right. They were, but it's not quite picking up the same steam as Gigaton, and I wish that there was more that the fans that want 10 and only 10 are willing to discover in this because if you're just looking at this band from the perspective of one album that doesn't even have their top producer that they used for for a decade or two that they weren't even mature when they wrote the record this is the kind of band that I've I've always been passionate about that you need to really understand the whole entire catalog to understand them I'm not saying that people that only focus on 10 are wrong for doing it, but I think they're doing a serious discredit to themselves for not going out further. And I get that it's a nostalgic look into the band and a lot of people just want the nostalgia from back in, you know, a day in in 1992 where life was so much easier 30 years ago, I suppose. But you can get so much more out of the band if you just pick up a no code or a yield or even a later record like riot act or something like that just be open-minded to this and i know our crowd isn't going to necessarily feel that way i know there are a lot of people that do attach themselves to their early 90s records but if you're into them if you consider yourself a massive fan of them take in everything that's all i gotta say about that all right from 60,000 people that were at the Hyde Park shows last weekend to the 47,000 in this little prairie town in Manitoba. Here we are. We got Mudfest. And as we mentioned, look, 10 right off the top is going to be very, very important. And one thing that you got to look at here is that Evenflow, Go, Deep, and Jeremy, you remember the show that we did last week? Well, it's unchanged. Those are the first four songs of this show, too. However, everything's going to kind of get mixed in, and we'll obviously get to the Versus stuff, which are, is going to have their own big section after the 10 stuff. But let's uh, start this all off with Even Flow. <laughs> Oh, 
Everybody comes out firing. Everybody's moving on that stage. Jeff is typically the one from this era that is the most passionate about it and, and just feeling the energy and, and running around in circles and doing stances and stuff like that. It's just fun to watch. I think a lot of what you mentioned before about them playing like eight to ten song sets in the opener role and now going out there where they're the highlight. They're looking at that. They know how special and important it is and they're going off and they're thriving off it. It feels like they are just taking it to a different level of energy and it's the tone setter for the whole thing. It just felt like they were shot out of a cannon here. And you know, mentioned they've been opening up for U2, opening up for Neil Young, and here they get a chance to spread their wings and play the show that they want to play and to be the band that they know they are at this point. They were kind of like getting a little bit too big to be opening up for anyone, really. And I think they looked at this as a chance to like, let's just go ape shit for an hour and a half and just let it all go. For these first couple especially, just felt like they were just shot out of a cannon. Yeah, and a lot of nods to Canada here and kind of like tongue-in-cheek stuff, but at the end, instead of the never-vote-Republican at the end there, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going back to Canada. Just I thought it was don't don't go to Canada. Was it don't go to Canada? A lot of, look, a lot of the speeches here are very, very difficult. They're very difficult to pick up on. I only watched... Yeah, he's pissed drunk, but I, I only watched the YouTube because that's... I, I didn't really worry about the, the MP3 part of this, but some of it was difficult to pick up on. So if I don't get right on the nose, then it'll be somewhere in the vicinity, I suppose. All right, this is the Wygo and Deep and Jeremy section here. For these three, like, all energetic, and you're sandwiching this little 10 section together within two hits... Even flow to start you out and get you really excited and Jeremy to kind of go home off of and why going deep kind of being the the people that really, really are into the album that don't just listen to the radio hits. They're going to be really excited for those. And again, it's it's everybody kind of running around in circles, just moving out of their designated territories. Big screams, tons of energy. Jeff, most watchable. Dave A, furious behind the kit. And, you know, especially deep, I thought that Ed really just kind of let it all out. And this is the era where he can. This is the era where he probably has one of the most powerful voices that he's had in his career. So 
little things too, like in Jeremy having that that furious "Daddy didn't give attention" line, and I absolutely love from this time. It's just a lot of this is just kind of feeding off the momentum from the last one, and and it feels like they are nothing but energy and stays like this for a while. It really does. Did you notice in Why Go, like there's a guy who tries to rush the stage and gets like tackled? I did not notice that. No. Yeah. It looked like some Canadian tried to <laughs> try to get up on stage and like, what, would it be an American? Hey, who knows? It was immediately like tackled by some of the, the stage hands or the bouncers and, Ed never Just caught it. Chaos. Yeah. It's kind of on the, the side of the video a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, the solo part of why go is very, very good. Very, very high energy. And like you're getting that surge that you sometimes get where they're pushing in there. They're really feeling on stage and like very, very good version of why go here. I thought it almost sounded like there was like a bell that Dave was hitting. Sounded yeah. almost like machine like. Like it, it was, was like that the Nine Inch Nails remix of Deep or something near the end. Like there's this very mechanical machine like bell that you, that he's hitting during the bridge. I thought, oh man, I was, what is that? I've never heard that before. Yeah, it was sort of a stronger version of what you might hear from like a ride symbol or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that too, and it, it, it caught me off guard for a second. Then I'm like, eh, did, I think he's done that a little bit. So I kind of, I <laughs> kind of shrugged it off. But it, it, it is worth kind of listening to and paying attention to. So yeah, all the ten stuff, the energy, it's the momentum. They're riding off and they're feeling real good. They're gonna feel real good for this whole entire night. Now Ed says, Oh, Canada, you're so beautiful when you're drunk. How about a couple new songs? I think they're overdue. And this little section right here of, and we'll break this up a little bit Animal into Glorified G, into Daughter, and then Go is going to be the capper to all this. And it, it felt like these three right here, if you want to add Go to that, absolutely, that they're showcasing the most out of what they've played so far. And when you think of, that time period when you think of like what the song from verses that define verses in the grand scheme of things i think that the the defining song from that record is probably rearview mirror but animal at this time was the one that i feel like they were just hottest on the most and that's the one that they chose to play at the bmas and it felt like they had a real good chemistry with them during this version and most versions during the early 1993. Well, if you think about it too, I mean, Animal's really a 10-era song. It sure. was on the, the Stone Demos. It's, you know, I think it's Weird A for the Stone Demos. So it had been around in 1990, and it would not have been out of place on, on 10 at all. It transitions, you know, from the 10 era to the versus era seamlessly. It kind of bridges that gap a little bit. So, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And it's great here. Like again, high energy, Jeff, Dave, everything you you want from 1993. 
package, you know, Glorified G and Daughters together, where Jeff is going to sit down and play the upright. That's definitely a switch. And I thought that in Glorified G, you know, we've gotten a couple of times this past tour that, that's happening right now based on, you know, obviously we don't need to get into what's going on in the world. People know why they're playing it. But you I can basically that, say every time that we're getting yeah. Glorified G in a show, we could have something to say. But sure. you're right. Ed and Stone at the end, I thought, had a nice little moment. Stone just going off at the end of Glorified G, I thought was very cool. And then someone gives Ed, there's a, there's a cow statue that is given. He goes and sets it up on the amp. We've talked about their collection of trinkets that would be put on the amps and everything. So, Well, I don't think that's the original cow. Right, because no, it's I definitely think, not, but it's... Uh, it, it was hard to tell, but it looked like they put it next to their actual cow. I think so. Yeah, it ended up on top of, I think, on top of Stone's Amp, maybe. That's what it looks like, yeah. Yeah. And then just with all the fury of everything up until Animal, to kind of switch into Glorified G and Daughter, it's definitely a change of pace for, and again, they're stretching out the set here, so you're seeing Ed start to, like, learn how to make these sets and how to build and, you know, crest these waves and build this tension and energy. Glorified G and Daughter, kind of a little break, and then... You get a really cool, they've been on a big, you know, Rolling Stones kick. We had a waiting on a friend tag in in London that we talked about. And there's tons of Rolling Stones references on this current tour, Street Fighting Man and on and on. Shouldn't um, RT program be out by now? It should be, uh, right? If not now, it'll be out soon, yeah. Look, if, you're, if you don't listen to D program, really good friends of ours, and we're on the panel a decent amount and you can hear us talk about other bands and yep. it's always fun to, to dig deep onto the other bands because we are so invested into Pearl Jam that sometimes it's hard to branch out. It can be. And it was a very, very difficult episode to get through the stones because the, the discog is just so massive, but it's, it's, it's worth checking out, especially if you like disagreements. But yeah, I, I really love them bringing in Gimme Shelter here. They've only done it one other time. So adding things in, especially 1993, you got to think of in Brixton when they sort of did the Beast of Burden. I wouldn't call it like uh, the full song. It kind of was more of like an improv off the cuff sort of thing. They were doing other stuff from Stones then too. Maybe Street Fighting Man. I think that was in 1994 where they did that. Maybe Jumpin' Jack Flash. Unsure about that, but it was definitely, it was definitely one of their big influences that, especially Mike, that they were going back to a whole lot. So good to see. And I think that for my money, Gimme Shelter is my favorite Rolling Stones song and maybe the best. So. Yeah, you, I think you had some Angie in there as well that they were. Oh yeah, sure. And at some point, but yeah, absolutely. This, me, this, this tag is absolutely great, and like Ed really gets into it, especially you know when the, he gets to the chorus part, the you know the part that you know. You know, I'm I'm more of a casual Rolling Stones fan, but when he gets to the part, they're like, oh okay, this is Gimme Shelter. Like I know this. That was really cool. It, it kind of gets a little more intense and fits in, obviously, with the theme of this the show, which is like let's let loose and go fucking crazy.
Now, what about the other theme of the show where Gimme Shelter could have been tagged because the idea of it raining all day, is yeah. that kind of a tie-in to that, maybe? Probably. Yeah, it's not. It, that's not really the the idea of the actual song, but maybe it could have just been <laughs> on his mind. Yeah, Ed, Ed always throws in stuff like that. He he knows what he's doing. All right, he's going to speak right here. We've never been here before, and never again. And honestly, we never would have come. But it's Sunfest, and it sounded like a blast. You know, right now we're staring at Mudfest, but we're glad that you're here. The fucking mosquitoes are making me crazy. <laughs> Imagine if they had a certain song to play back in 1993, it would work perfect for this this moment, but you can't go wrong with Go, and I think that this is the first one that really, individually, as an individual song, outside of everything else that was played in the set, it really perked me up on this. I I really love this, and, and the way that... Dave is interpreting here from blending in those pre-chorus verses there where Ed is kind of doing the go, that stuff, and it's just all stop and go. It's all like this break speed momentum, and then just the big drive at the end as well. I thought that that Dave and Mike especially worked in really, really good tandem in this, and it just it was a scorcher. <laughs> talking about the 13th ever performance of go here so very very early on you could tell that this was a showstopper like it's here in the middle of the set for a reason it's building up you know the first seven songs are building up to this and then this is the oh shit moment in the middle of the set here that normally you know later on would would go to even flow in the, the mic moment but yeah this is absolutely explosive i talk about sometimes oh this is the one that makes you sit up and take notice like yeah, this version of Go, like, you can talk about Dave, you can talk about Mike, you can talk about Ed. Just everyone firing on all cylinders, and it's maybe the best performance overall of the night. You know, I, I failed to mention something with Animal here, the first verse of the song that they play, but after the song finishes, the crowd erupts like they had been listening to that song for 10 years. And it's amazing, like, they're really reacting well to these Versus songs. I believe they they love Go as well. To get all those in a row, Go and Animal there, I can see a lot of people in that crowd being like, when is this record dropping? Because I hope it's tomorrow. Just your jaw would hit the floor like, oh my god, this is what their new songs sound like? Holy shit. Uh Um, Especially, you know, if you're a teenager, if you're 16, 17, 18 years old in the fucking prairie of Canada... You're like, oh my God, the world has opened up and brought this to me. Like, yes, one of the most explosive performances that we've heard in a long time and just absolutely blew the doors off this place. How about Dave's snare work at the end there, too? Yeah. That's just, oh. That's right in his wheelhouse. He, he was made for that song. Absolutely, yep. And literally made the song as well. Yep. Okay, Ed is greeted by somebody in a hoodie, and it looks like the guy in the hoodie is kind of whispering in his ear. He's like, oh, getting some information, okay. It might be a crew member. I'm not sure. I've never seen 
that person before on any other video. Does it matter? Probably not. But Ed says we heard that one of you beautiful Canadians wanted to come up here and, and propose to another beautiful Canadian and wanted to do it on stage. But it's good. They're not here anyway, but we'll dedicate a song to them, which is State of Love and Trust. State of Love and Trust and, and Garden are going to be back-to-back here, kind of going back to 10 and 10 era songs. Again, it's continuing just having inspired performances, and I always like going back to very early versions of State of Love and Trust because that's when you get the best out of Jeff in the song. You kind of get those those interludes sort of following the chorus where it's that moment before the solo breaks, and it's all Jeff, and you don't get that. They cut that entire part out of the song now. You don't get that at all because when they're focusing on State of Love and Trust, they're, they're like, okay, let's get the mic because that's the thing you, you want from this. You, you want to get to the solo right away. But it's a spot in the song that it, it's stuck in this era. And unfortunately, I, I, I wish it could have had a little bit more of a lifespan after this because it's giving Jeff a good moment too and it sounds really good. I agree. And I think part of this too, and there's a moment in, in State of Love and Trust where Jeff and Mike and Stone all kind of come together and kind of play with cool. each other for a minute. Yeah. And I think that it, it goes back to the point of the show being like, this is a chance for them to stretch out and play and relax a little bit. And, you know, you're getting to the ninth song here. This would be normally where they would have to start, you know, winding down and finishing up. But instead, you're seeing them relax and they know that they've still got a bunch of songs left and they can stretch things out and have some fun and it it really felt like they were relaxed and like playing something and state of love and trust is the first one here that wasn't on a record like it was on that soundtrack but i mean granted a lot of a lot of people had that soundtrack and people knew it but i percent sure this is a chance for them to play something that they might not normally play if they were opening up for for neil young or youtube or whoever it was so it really felt like they enjoyed this one and they were having a good time so yeah really good performance Yep, going on forward, you're only going to get two more versus songs, and 10 is going to dominate. It's going to be nine of the 11 songs, so you're you're going to follow up State with Garden. I think that's another thing that you mentioned before about the Breaking Waves theory, yep. where yep. it was Glorify G and Daughter, and then you just slammed with Go. And now Garden kind of gets mixed in, and what's going to follow Garden is Blood. And you're balancing those two and you're finding good spots to do that with blood because it's something that you want to just kick you in the gut right when you hear it right from the jump. And Garden is sort of like plotting and getting you to that moment. And then when it happens, you're just you're taking it back. You're like, oh, all right, another new one that's going to slap me in the face. But that's not to take anything away from what Garden was here, because I think that Garden was a pretty good performance. The only thing that I had about this that was unfortunate is that in the recording, you don't get the best of McCready. It's very heavy drum. It's very heavy bass, which is great for Jeff. But McCready gets drowned out a little bit on this, which it sounded like he had another terrific, fantastic solo off Garden, but you don't get the best power from this version. Again, it, it feels like we're talking about a 2022 show here, talking about <laughs> State of Love and Trust in the Garden. But I really like the we're lucky whoever this camera person was that they catch a little bit of stone at the end and stone is just going nuts. That's on, great. On the end of Garden. It's just Wobbling fantastic. Wobbling his head. Like, classic, classic stone. Like, please go. 
and queue up this video and watch Stone at the End of Garden. It is worth your time to take a couple minutes and go watch this because I'm sitting and watching, I'm like, yes, that is Stone epitomized on this song. And he, and now it's all about, like you said, it's all about Mike, it's all about that solo, but watching Stone at the End of Garden here gave me a little bit of a new appreciation for it. I don't know if you noticed this, but I think that it was extended a couple extra measures because it sure. feels like that gets a little bit tightened at the end. It feels like they kind of let it breathe a little bit, let it go on for a little bit longer than usual, which kind of tells me that... I think that's stone, yeah. Uh-huh, it's stone, and then that also, that ending, that big ending sort of is where Dave thrives too. So mm-hmm. everybody in there. And then Blood rage and fire right away it's just like i said it's it's an obvious follow-up to garden to get you back into the set to kind of kick you in the gut and you know the one thing that i noticed and we're kind of going back to the state of love and trust this is going to be a little bit in the reverse here is that because blood wasn't quite the showstopper yet we're talking about the eighth performance here blood is traditional to the record and I have to say, I don't listen to studio albums as much as I used to. Very, very little. But I happen to be in the car for a little bit longer than I usually am this week. And I put verses on. That was something kind of unprecedented. I usually don't have that as a go-to. But for some reason, I just had a hankering to, to listen to that record. And when I'm listening to Blood in that, from the chorus to the, the painted Big, I was like, you know... I guess I never realized that there wasn't more space in between that. And it was just when they started doing the tags of Atomic Dog or Fame or something of the likes that they started doing that. But no, this this version is pre-set to what the studio was. Just immediately cutting back to that, it doesn't really have that big clapping section that the song would have now. And Ed kind of going off and maybe doing a little improv thing, maybe getting a little bit jammy. But I thought that that was interesting. Exactly the opposite from State of Love and Trust, where they added a piece instead of subtracted one. said really early early version and later in this year after the record comes out you would see blood start to stretch out and become and kind of move into that later in the set spot where it would become the showstopper and they would start to really play around with that ending and jam on it and you know you had some just insane you know we talk about deep having the descent into madness like blood is right there as well where ed would just get unhinged on it screaming and you're he was in a really, zone in this, yes. Yeah, you're, you're starting to see that a little bit where performances like this, and again, watching this, there wasn't like one thing that stuck out to me from this performance. It was just very, very good and very, very energetic. It's stuff like this that builds up to those performances later this year where after this, you know, they go backstage and like, man, how about blood? That was cool. 
and then like you, you you start to see it start to stretch out after that. Yeah, and a lot of moments from Ed in this show has him sort of channeling something and being in his own zone where almost the crowd and band sort of leaves his peripheral vision. And it looks like he's in a trance in a couple of these and blood, especially at the end there, he's completely on his own planet to watch that and to see Ed like that. And then to kind of get some of the close-ups where just the mist and the whole thing, while you can't see mud or anything like that, as you mentioned before, the whole thing, like the lighting and everything like that, it makes you feel like it's a dirty show, you know, especially that you're watching something that is an older, probably not shot on a very high profile camera at the time. It's as good as it gets for 1993, but now you're so used to watching stuff picture perfect and in 4k and everything like that. But the visuals of the show really felt like what the show was kind of took something from where they were. You know, if you don't get to see mud, at least you get to see that. So I think it, it adds to the legend a little bit. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Ed mentions real quick, he just wants Keith to turn the lights on so they can see people and says, oh, fuck, I thought we were at a little club. And that gets you into the back-to-back. There's going to be two back-to-back 10 combos here. This is going to be Alive and Black. And one thing right off the bat from Alive, there are a couple things in Alive to, to talk about and to bring up. The real quick one is at the end of the first verse where... He doesn't do his normal, but I'm glad we talk. He kind of screams that part, and I never heard him do that before. He's getting progressively more inebriated as the night goes on. So yeah, you're. Yep. He's getting a little bit more intense, and like that trance you talked about in in blood, a lot of that is he's starting to get that tunnel vision a little bit and like he's kind of getting lost in himself but Alive gets it all comes together during Porch yeah Alive gets a really big crowd reaction too I mean this is the one that all those kids know so kind of the first one in a while that had gotten that big reaction because he kind of been on this little run of deep cuts and and new songs so that was that was clear too but I think it's Black I think is more of the story here well well I I still have something to bring up in Alive In 1993 specifically, it's not every single show in 1993, but it does happen now and again. You'll notice Stone's little lick, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You'll notice Jeff singing in the background, he does, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. got to go to like an India where you can really hear it. He thinks it's the funniest thing on the planet. And there's a part sort of, I guess at the last chorus of the song where him and, and Stone are together. They're looking each other dead in the eye. They both go, la, 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 la. And it just, it's a tremendous brothership and bonding moment. And I love when Jeff just kind of does it off the cuff anyway. It's just signaling that, you know, things are in a positive mood and they're feeling good, but that was just fun. I, I, look, and I don't think everybody's going to catch something like that, but when that perked my ear, I knew exactly what was happening and, and, and just watching for it and seeing Je- Jeff, especially his eyes light up when he's singing that. This is very funny. 
that's funny because it reminded me too of because I have that for for black as well where they were doing the very detailed black backup vocals like it's not just the straight up do 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 like they're the going songs too yeah they're going all the way up and down and they're hitting each of those notes just like they do and like it's very very cool but yeah that, that's funny on the live and again the visual of them kind of looking at each other is like they've got their own little language that they're kind of separate from everyone and yeah that, that was a cool moment we do get an every breath you take tag at this and i feel like we had covered that at one other point before off of black and i can't remember when it was but it was definitely a welcome instance at this point and then one line of we belong together after that but it's like ed is still in the mode of sort of performing it like he did on unplug that surrounded by some kids at playline i always mention it it's he just takes it to that other level and it does end up getting pretty powerful pretty emotional as you said, Jeff is really locked in on those backups. It's He's finding a trance of himself, and, and he's dead on with it. He's fantastic, but the song gets really powerful at the end, and it really kind of blossoms nicely. Yeah, I think they was, it was maybe Sacramento 95 that we talked about where they did Every hmm. Breath You Take. I think that was the last time they did it. Again, you know, Every Breath You Take is, you know, kind of known as the big monster hit song, but it's secretly got a little bit of these like creepy undertones to it. Like it's not a very happy song. It's not like the wedding song that everyone kind of thinks that it is. And I like that he kind of took that and tied it into black as well. sort of dives into that a little bit as well and and he comes off of that it's not uncommon for him to do this in this era and he starts thinking i'm not crazy i'm not crazy however you know ed is just right at the top of the stage during once and and you're gonna end the set this way and just locking in with various folks up front. I don't even know if he's like looking at people in the eye or he's just like looking out into the distance because that's where this all is at this point. He is now at the point where they could say like, okay, Ed, I think we're done. But I think this is another moment in, in once and porch where he does have that like possessed face and he does feel like he's in a trance and it could be that he's just super focused while being intoxicated, or it could just be that he's just intoxicated, and that's how it all kind of went down. I don't know if, if you noticed, I think it was in Porch and not in Once. I believe it was in Porch, but he goes off to the side, and it looks like the camera angle is a little bit higher, but then when he comes down, it doesn't look like he like steps off of anything. So I don't think he actually gets on anything during Porch, but that was just something yeah. that, yeah, I wasn't sure. But like this, this thing in Porch where he's like center stage, like he's he usually walks off to the side. He usually does his own thing, or he's in in within the crowd. But he's dead in the center of the stage during Porch. I thought that that was a little bit different. He's like just cranks his neck back 
he's just letting that jam just sort of hit him, and you can tell that he's enjoying himself, but he is also not quite with it. Well, I really thought that once into porch was very good, especially coming off of something like public image, what they had, which they hadn't really done since. Oh wait, are we are we not talking about London Night One? Uh, oh, I think I've. Let me look at my too soon, John. Let me look at my notes here. I've got. I think I might have the wrong. Yeah, I've got the I've got the wrong show because they did, they did once into porch at London Night One, and they're doing once into porch here. I again, I got confused. I thought we were all these ten songs. I, I thought we were talking about a a twenty twenty two show. He yeah he goes out into the and it's because he like yells at Stone for some reason like he's like Stone Stone and he's just in the zone. You see it on his face like intensity and these two songs again. You're you're just ramping up the energy and once into porches. It's good in 2022 and it's it's good in 1993 too. Mike has an absolute monster like NBA leap during once that was noteworthy and porches is, is still the showstopper and it would be for the next year or so. Well, you know, you mentioned your your gripe of you know just 2022 just in the heavy 10 part of the set list, but. You have to go back. The numbers say that once into porch consecutively has been done 38 times in their history. Now, there's a lot of 1992, tons of 1992, and in 1993, it was this, and then it was Indio, and that's it. And they wow. d- didn't do it back-to-back until 2005, a one-off in Madison Square Garden in 2010, and then San Diego Sports Arena in 2013, up until last night. Well... Not from when you're listening to this, but you, you get the drift. So, yeah, it is a throwback to this era. I think that that is okay and fair to say. But I want to talk about the jam a little bit on Porch, too, because it's almost like this punk rock beat that they're going with, but it has like a hard rock edge to it. And then Ed makes a speech towards the end of it, and he's saying something like, any day now, it's going to be your turn. It's going to be your turn forever, forever. And I have no idea where he's going with that. But it's just leading to him and building to him just losing it in the chorus and just let loose. And that visual of him standing on the speaker with all that dirty mist hovering in his direction, that's one thing to take away from this special event. The jam, it's like the guitars go off and do something different. I'm like, okay, is this a tag of some kind? Are they like adding some part of a different song in this? Like it wasn't anything that I recognized, but this being as popular a show as it was, I think we would have heard something if it was, but it was one of those porches where it felt like, you know, you were going to get a tearing or you were going to get, you know, something else in the middle. But yeah, it definitely changes the guitar thing, but yeah, I mean, that's iconic, you know, 1993, 1994 porch, yeah, by the book, absolutely. <laughs> 
throws the sticks out and then walks out. And that kind of reminded me, of course, of Rearview Mirror on the recording where he just throws his sticks at the wall and right. and just angst and just bitterness. Probably happened around the same time. Uh, yeah, right. And not, not too much further away from that. Okay, we're at the encore here, even though the set lists don't say it. It is an encore. They do leave the stage. So we're going to have to change that with our good old friend Dave at livefootsteps.org, which, honestly, if you're coming to us and you're like, hey, look at this set list, the the set list for London or the set list for Copenhagen, look at what it looks like on Setlist FM. Every time that you do that, we're going to shut you down. Why? Because Setlist FM is not your local Pearl Jam statistician right there. It's just a guy in the crowd who might not understand that the tags aren't separate from the songs. And it's also FM that doesn't understand that Pearl Jam cover bands don't actually count towards actual Pearl Jam stats. So, LifeFootsteps.org, along with Stat Tracker, because you've got to give them credit to, they do wonderful work over there, but they are both the places to go. It's like shopping at Target or Walmart, and yet the price is the same or even lower when you're going locally. Support your local statistician for Pearl Jam stats. One more gripe about Setlist FM with other bands. <laughs> Seriously, this pisses me off. That a song like Let's Take uh, Hard to Handle by the, the Black Crows, that is a cover. That's an Otis Redding cover. However, when they put it in their stats, obviously it's on Shake Your Moneymaker. Everybody knows it from Shake Your Moneymaker. When they put it in their stats, it counts as a cover instead of being on the record. I disagree with that completely. Because it is on, and and especially this past tour where they're playing the whole damn album, it's on the record. Just put it on the freaking record. All right, that's it. Let's pause for station identification. Talk about Patreon. We had some new members this week. We have, I believe, five people to thank. Let's start off with another fellow Pearl Jam podcaster that you might not know of because his podcast is is fairly new and it's kind of almost supplemental to what we're doing and it's telling different stories within the Pearl Jam realm. And if you'd like to listen to another, uh, yet another Pearl Jam podcast, it's called Ventricles Pumping. And Chris Warren is the host, or as he calls himself, the Kiwi because he is from New Zealand, so that would make sense. But he goes through like individual songs, and he'll put a story to them, and he'll say like why these versions deserve to be talked about, and, and like very similar to what we do, but he's really focusing in on specific stuff, and it's more of playing like radio DJ and telling that story instead of what we're doing. So both of them, I think it's a good compliment to what we're doing, and he joined Patreon a little while ago, so we thank him for his patronage. I just wanted to give him a little shout-out. Uh, make sure you follow his podcast. It's called Ventricles Pumping, and it's on all the same places that you can find our podcast, except for liveonfourlegs.com, but maybe we'll put it up someday. Maybe we will put it up someday. Let's also thank Alina Yu. Alina, you joining the bonus leg tier for the year. Thank you so much. And a lot of people coming out of Europe right now, a lot of uh, new European people joining because probably interested in the tour reaction episodes. So if they're going to the shows, that that's perfect for them. And another one from Europe who this name we've known, we've talked to him before. He's very active on the Pearl Jam podcast community on Facebook. He's been a great member. Simon Poutney 
has joined and it's great because again we see him communicate all the time it's always good to have those people join that you know that you're already like pretty connected to them and it's always good that to see that they're they're interested in following along and stuff and he's messaged me a couple times and he made a couple requests so uh yeah hope to get them in at some point in the future thank you so much simon let's also thank andrew famular thank you so much andrew because this happens very very rarely but Andrew has joined the Horizon leg tier, ladies and gentlemen. That is very, very cool of you. Thanks so much for hopping aboard and for that, joining the Horizon leg tier, which is $10 a month or $100 for the year. He gets his own profile episode. He will get a request that will happen probably sometime in the next year, and he'll get a profile on our website as well. And everybody will get the content from bonus leg on up and everybody will get exclusive. Some people in the giga leg tier will end up getting uh, an episode request later down the line as well. But horizon leg tier is going to get you some extra cool stuff. So thank you so much, Andrew. Again, not very often that we do have people joining up on that tier. So that's very, very cool. Let's thank a giga leg member right now, Eric Bratvold. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining. I, I was actually in contact with him a little bit this week and he messaged me. And said he asked, why aren't they playing any binaural songs on this tour? And this was before Friday. And I said to him, well, look, you know, to come back after four years, it's it's tough. And they got to mix in some of the, the new stuff. They got to mix in some of the, the old stuff that people and, and they're playing only 22 songs and, and on and on. If you guys listen to the reaction episodes, you know exactly these talking points. And then I messaged him back like, you got your binaural song. So sometimes you have to put it out in the ether for it to happen let's also thank another member who is already a patron has been a patron for a pretty long time at has increased his patronage from the bonus leg tier to the gig leg tier and that is jacob chamberlain thank you so much jacob another one just like simon who's always in the mix and always talking to people on the setlist reactions and the live setlist threads as well so we love having him aboard thank you so much for increasing your donation and hopefully we will put everybody's donations to good use very very soon and if you want to join patreon because right now like i mentioned it's all the reaction episodes, everything from early on in the West Coast tour to everything that's been going on here in Europe that we're covering right now. All of it's up, and it only costs you a dollar a month if you want to join in on the bonus like tier. Just listen to these episodes, get them in, and maybe listen to the ones that you've been to if you've been following them around a little bit. Uh, they're fun. you know. It's, it's great to have an instant reaction, and this is kind of what this podcast has been made for, doing the instant reaction. So happy to do them and, and glad that people are really enjoying them. And if you want that, head on over to patreon.com slash live and four legs or just go to live and four legs.com. There is a button at the top of the homepage. It's orange. It says become a patron. Follow the directions, and you're there. You're in. And thank you so much for everybody. We are on a track record with the girth of patrons that we have right now that we are up to a milestone that I never would have expected. So when that comes up, we'll really get to thank everybody for for joining in on this. And uh, we never would have thought it would have been possible. So you guys are great. You guys are supporting us. And uh, on the other, other side, we're supporting you guys as well. So thanks so much. And anything else on that aspect? Do you want to promote the recaps a little bit and what you're writing for the recaps? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, thanks to all the, the patrons who joined this week. That's amazing. I hope that you guys get a chance to go to live14legs.com. Check out all the vast history of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have out there. Hours and hours of content for you to go check out there. Give it a chance and hope you enjoy it. If you're on the website, you know, check out the Concertpedia reviews that we've been doing. It's been really kind of um, a mind fuck for me to to go through the morning you know taking notes during the shows and getting the the relays from people and it's really kind of taking me back to to the five horizons days you know the reason we call that the horizon leg is because of of five horizons and the work that karen and gene and everyone that was associated with that did and it's been a real kind of dream for me to go through and and write these reviews and kind of keep that flame going and kind of feel like I'm, you know, part of that legacy of writing and, you know, everyone that we have writing for us, you know, it's a huge staff of people that have been helping out on that, you know, all, all from, you know, 2018 all the way down to 2013 and 2012 and, and beyond. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just really special for me. That's probably been the most fun thing for me of all of this is just getting to write those reviews and, and kind of being able to, to keep that going for the fan base and have that be a cool thing. So I hope you guys are able to go and check that out. Yeah. Weirdly enough with like no Periscope and no live streams that are consistent uh-huh. because a I lot of these Periscope. shows, I, I know a lot of these shows just, they don't get very good service out there. But like it kind of feels the way that we're doing this and the communication that we've had with guys like Aurelian and guys like Luke Daly and a couple other guys, uh, Dom Judd, who's who's pitched in and Kevin Dutch, who's pitched in. It feels like in a way, this is the more modern era way to pass along the information in, instead of what they were doing back in like 96, 98, which was probably a phone call. Yep. Like after the show, taking down notes and everything like that. But this is where we pride ourselves on, on, you know, just getting this stuff out in the timely fashion. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy that so many people are just really attached to this and really dig it because as much as it is a podcast, it's sort of a news service too. And if we can kind of break some news on Pearl Jam and, and, you know, do some cool things and pass the information along to you guys who so many people, hundreds of people, I think at this point have said they've been living vicariously through us. That makes us feel special. So thank you guys for following along on both the Facebook and the Twitter. Twitter is live on four legs pod. And then Facebook, join the Pearl Jam podcast community page, and you'll get to join a great community of people. All right, back to the rock somehow. We are going to open up the set with indifference. Ed, Ed's got a wine bottle and then kind of sort of awkwardly rolls into the crowd. And someone hoists him back up on stage and he looks like he does a face plan on the speaker. He's a. Uh, Four songs Wait, is yeah. Four songs is way past his max on this, <laughs> but uh, hey, give him what he wants, I suppose. Uh, now you got to go to indifference. I think indifference is definitely a highlight because when I think of indifference from like 1994, 1993, I think of kind of the way that you know Pearl Jam wasn't really promoting a lot of these more stark songs. You go back to Elderly Woman, wasn't played a whole lot then, like the acoustic stuff. And, you know, very rarely will you, would you get like a, an Oceans or a release 
you know, mixed in enough, but still not quite as much as you would ever expected. But indifference here, it's it's really impressive because what you know of it now being the song that's the celebration at the end, somehow in the sixth performance of this, that's what the crowd makes it here. It's not like they're sitting there and they're like, oh, well, this isn't the exciting, energetic stuff that we heard earlier in the night. They're like, yeah, give us more. This is awesome. And they're clapping along the whole way like they've known this song for 20 years. I was highly impressed by this. feeling of like any new thing any you know compilation track any b-side like take my money and inject it directly into my veins like you could not get enough and that was part of the problem that that they ended up having is like there were there were millions of kids like me that that wanted that and a bunch of them were here but like oh yeah they they could have gone on and and you know played done the spinal tap free jazz thing for 20 minutes and people would have eaten it up like yeah they were on the verge of being the biggest band in the world they can do whatever they want yeah you know and indifference you know oh kind of the the fox theater atlanta one is the kind of the gold standard i think for this era but this one's very good i really liked it too yeah and you know looking at eddie's mannerisms here you know he's got his corduroy jacket on and his hands in his pockets sort of lightly moving from side to side a bit and then you know when you get to the moment where they're not going to know it but ed knows it and ed's ed knows that he's this is where he's going to stretch here this lets it all go and it was just excellent it was excellent excellent performance which is weird to say because of how drunk he was I didn't. I no. I'm, I'm dead serious. No, I didn't I, I, think. I'm agreeing with you. Yep. I did not think that he had that in him. But the next three being all covers, um, it definitely fits more within the realm of okay, Ed, just uh, you know, drink him if you got him. Uh, yeah, it but he karaoke night, right? But uh, he prefaces before Sonic producer. Okay, campers, let's go out with a bang. We're proud of you for hanging in there all day. Hope the sun get it because Sunfest shines for you tomorrow but this is all for the mud people 
the three-headed combo to end this night all covers, like I mentioned, Sonic Reducer, Rockin' in the Free World, and a Big Bob O'Reilly to end it on. John, I'm going to give you a little quiz here. There is one show that we have covered that had all three of these in the set. And guess what? It was fairly recent. Hmm. Very recent, I should say. Okay. Okay. What show is that? I want to say it was like, was it a show from the 2010s? It was not. It was not. If we, we covered did. it recently, it is not recently. Yeah, that that's true. I'm thinking. I'm thinking less recent than than evidently you are. But um, no, I have no idea. It was the Lollapalooza Irvine show that we did like a month ago. Oh, when they when they opened up with the two covers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Rocking yeah. at the end. Yeah. And there's one other show that they did all three of these at, and that's Detroit 1994. Hmm. So. I, cool. and, and I, it just came to mind because you just, those are usually if one of these isn't in the set, it's usually passed off to the other. If Sonic Reducer and Rockin' in Free World aren't there, it's going to be Baba. If Baba's not there, it's going to be one of the other two. On it, And they kind of all sort of switch place. And now Sonic Reducer feels like a little bit less so within Rockin' in Free World and Baba, but look, this year's a totally new dynamic and different idea. I just thought that that was super interesting. But let's get into Sonic Reducer. I love Stone Solo on this. Oh, man. Oh, my it's God. It's torture. Like, put Ooh. out the, the Stone Solo alert. You know, put out the... The... <laughs> Make sure you go... Watch this. solo and sonic producer stone is absolutely insane it's one of the one of the best i've heard from him in a long time the other the other thing from this is ed just falls into mike and mike ends up on the floor uh <laughs> playing along it's just chaos has is taken over here it's like half falls half tries to wrestle and mike yeah. stays on the, on the ground a little longer. He's, he's not having it he's like he knows what's up he's like i'm just gonna let to let him do his thing and i'm just gonna stay here where i can be safe on the floor right this was not 1992 in one of the shows another show that we've covered in the last couple months i believe is one of the holland shows that we did where ed and mike are kind of like wrestling and they're wrestling each other to the ground and mike's not missing a note Uh, this one mike kind of loses control of the guitar a little bit and he just doesn't seem too pleased however Mike didn't really love that guitar because after the song, he decides to smash it. Smash it once on the ground, smash it once on the amp, smash it another time on the ground. It keeps going back and forth, just wild. And it feels like the pinata doesn't really break until the last point, but he uh, he's down one guitar after this one. Letting it all hang out tonight. Yeah. And then and, we and, get, oh, yeah not not all the instruments were making it through this show I could have <laughs> no, at the beginning no 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 and, and then of course uh, we get introduced to Mike's guitar tech by Stone 
and Mike sort of talks. It was impossible to figure out what he's saying because I think Mike might be a little inebriated as well. And he's soft-spoken at the time, too, so I, 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 I didn't catch anything, did you? No. No. Yeah, we can pass by that. Uh, but before, I think Ed says something like, crowd, give yourselves a hand, but it's not really masturbation, but do it anyway. That's a very 1993 thing for Ed to say. But now there's an, oh, fuck, that Mike's amp doesn't work going into Rockin' in the Free World. But they figure it out because they're fucking Pearl Jam. And, you know, I think that that's important for this time because there's a transitional point with Rockin' in the Free World where now they're getting to be on tour with Neil a lot. And they're getting to sometimes play this with him on stage and even seeing him, I'm sure, by himself play it. And they're getting a feel for what the song is from Neil's perspective. When they did the covers back in 92, it was so much different and they put their own spin on it, which is very, very good. It's very intense and empowering and all that. But I think after a little bit of, of watching Neil for the last couple weeks here, I think that they have changed their tone with, with Rockin' in the Free World and kind of turned it into closer to what Neil has done a little bit more traditionally at this point. Yeah, and it was becoming, you know, more, it seems like, you know, a lot of times we've, we've talked about early Rockin' in the Free World, we've talked about the, the third version or the eighth version or, you know, a lot of these really early ones, but here you're, you're getting into the 54th version, so Pearl Jam is like, they know this by now, and like, you can, we talked about, you know, Animal at the VMAs, you know, Rockin' in the Free World, they would come out and do it with Neil, and that would kind of set the song, you know, on its own trajectory, but they they know what they're doing with it now and it's it's not something where you know they're 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 not playing it you know the neil way anymore it's starting to become more of of a of a pearl jam thing and especially like like you said seeing him playing with neil every night opening up for him yeah it's it just no surprise that it shows up here on a night that they get to to stretch out and do their own thing they're gonna give a nod to the man himself Absolutely. And then, of course, when you're thinking about influences, they're going to the next one. It's going to be Baba that closes out the show, that closes out this three-headed cover monster at the end here. And Ed is just, he just wants to bask in the crowd here. He just wants Ed to hear everybody. And you hear, you know, we, we, we didn't really talk about a lot of the crowd shots in here, but when you do see them, they are... They are not motionless. Let's just say that they are moving and they're they're moshing. They're they're bumping into each other. We didn't see a lot of crowd surfers from the vantage point that we had, but I'm sure that they were there. But yeah, it was. Uh, I'm sure that he was just basking in all the people that were like in the prairie and just letting it all out. And they get to sing one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time with one of the greatest rock and roll frontman of all time. They might not have known that at the time, but he was developing into it. But, uh, you know, they were just bouncing as if it was the last song they were ever going to see live. Just really cool stuff. But that's not the story. The story here is at the end. You think it's all over. Stone even says goodbye. And Mike might have took his guitar off. I'm not sure what I caught with that. It gets a second and you're like, okay, well, that's the end. and, And that was the end of the song. So you get it. But they do a fucking reprise of it. Yeah. 
that's something special that I don't think we've seen enough of, if if any other point at all. Just doing another section of the song in order to not let the night go and bring something even more powerful out of what the performance was. This was phenomenal. Well, I really like that they brought uh, Johnny Marr back after having him do Throw Your Hatred Down earlier. And then you got to see Andrew Watt, who we know. Uh, like, uh, oh, wait, no, I think I'm I think I'm mixed up again because that was oh, it no, was that, that was London. It was that tolerable was, once. Was Sorry, it was tolerable Sorry. once. Um, no, we're, uh, we're we're I'm back. I got my, I got my notes here. No, I I agree. Absolutely insane. Bob O'Reilly. And again, you're getting Ed in his element. He does have that that daltry in him where, you know, especially on a night like this, he he's in his element. Again, going back to the thing where, like, we've hit on it a million times. This was their show, and they, I'm sure, had circled this on the calendar as, like, this is when we get to let loose. And any opportunity they can take to, to extend that and, and, and make it special and keep it going, yeah, they're, they're going to do that. Yeah, I agree. This is just insanity from from the very beginning and just the massive finish on this as well like ed's again like just anything he sees he's just gonna draw towards and he just grabs some of dave's drumsticks and starts hitting at the cymbals until he falls over the riser and calls it a night ed take a cab home my friend even if it takes three hours for it to get there jeez that's the end to a very important night in Pearl Jam history. Now you are up first. So pick three that you enjoyed from this. This is tough because, you know, like we kind of said at the beginning, this is a very good show overall. And like it, it's held in, in very high regard because almost every performance is, is above average and, and very, very good. If I have to pick three, Oh, give me a why go. At, at number three, something early on where they were, again, just shot out of a cannon, especially the ending of Why Go, I thought was very good. I'll go with Garden, I thought. And again, Garden's not one that I normally go back to on these, but watching Stone there at the end just elevated that song for me and gave me a, a little bit of an appreciation for this version and made it, made it special, made it something memorable. My number one's Go. I just thought that was kind of the summation of of everything that the main set was and an early version of a versus song that lived up to all the expectations and and set the tone for what it would become just a fucking killer version of go here i know my three i just don't know what order i want to put them in but i think since you said that go is going to be your number one that'll fall in a different spot for me And I'm going to give number three to Indifference just because I was so impressed for it being the sixth time ever played and just having this connection with the crowd as if it were, you know, the last song during the Lightning Bolt tour show from, I have no idea, like like Cincinnati or uh, like Memphis or something like that. I didn't think I'd play Memphis, but you know what I'm talking about here. Like as if it were just a mainstay that people were, were looking for for a very, very, very long time. But oh, they, like this is the early onset that they're thinking like, okay, we can make this something special. The crowd, once they're invested in this, they'll they'll be invested, and it's going to be something that we want to play more often than not. I'm going to give Go number two, and Go just out of all the Versus songs just had that 
that it factor, uh, you know, from Dave's popping snare at the end to some of the kind of stop go action that he's got during the verse and the chorus, and then Mike stretching and screeching out there, uh, just a fun, phenomenal version of that that really built up a lot of momentum in the set. And I think number one, I'm going to give it to Baba O'Reilly. And the reason why I go Baba over Go and Indifference is because this whole entire night felt like a party. And it's just culminating all up until the end. You know, you're building to that moment. You got some big moments in the middle of the main set. And then at the end, you're, you got three covers that you're doing, which at the time, I'm sure maybe not a lot of people really understood the the impact of Sonic Reducer, but you, you're building up to that really big one. And Baba is the big one of the three, even though Rockin' in the Free World has been played way more often. But in terms of you know, rock history, it's Baba. And I just thought that the just unexpected out of left field coming back and, and, and going back into the song when they had already said goodbye, was just, uh, I, I love surprises. And that one just got me in the right spot and it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Okay. Another one that might be difficult to rate. Let's see where we are with this. John, take the floor. Yeah, this one uh, was was not too difficult for me. This is a this is a ten out of ten. I mean, going back to everything that that was going on around this show, again, the a show that's that's held in high regard that absolutely lives up to the hype. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes shows are hyped up for different reasons, and you go back and listen to it, and it's it's not what you expected it to be. And like I had heard this one before, but it had been. God, years and years and years since I'd listened to this, much less watch the video. I was very pleasantly surprised that this lived up to, to all the hype it was. And yes, Ed is very drunk. And, you know, for some people that might might take it down a notch or two. But knowing what we know about everything around the show and 1993 in general, this is a absolute banger of a show. I mean, song after song after song, there's not a bad performance here. And a lot of really, really good moments. So it deserves to be in that upper echelon. So 10 out of 10. Yeah, my my only, um, and uh, I'm going to, you know, just build up into the moment here. My only thing about mentioning whether it was going to be a difficult rating, because you, you did say that it was just 19 songs like All Fire. And when people talk about this show, they don't bring one song specifically out of this. I, I think it should be Baba. I really think it should be Baba. I think it could be Go. But you more hear about the actual idea of what the show was itself. The idea that it was passed around in a very coveted VHS. The idea that they were playing in the mud and that it has a moniker to it is very important. That's the first sign of saying, okay, well, this is special. This is important. And I was in between whether it was like a nine and a half or a 10, because I just, you know, I, I didn't know if it had all of the factors of being there, but I am going to call it a 10 because I think it does have all the factors. I think it's, uh, you know, on the list of stuff that are 10, I don't think it's like super like close to like a Moline or, or an MSG 2003. It made the hall of fame for being very good and being unique in and of itself. 
but I don't think it's one of the greatest of all time. And I guess that that was, I don't know if I was looking for that at all, but I, I sort of just kind of came to that conclusion. But it does have a place in Pearl Jam history. It is an anchor part for, you know, when you're looking at era to era and like points where you can say like, okay, Pearl Jam did this and and can tell the story of their life story. I think this does need to be told. So with that being said, I yeah, it's a, it's a 10. Hey, it's good that we ended up in the same spot. It is going into the Hall of Fame later this year. I think we got a lot of shows that we could say that about. We've been way more lenient on giving these grades. Hey, we're going to have to tighten up. Yeah, a little bit. And we've Not been picking a lot of good stuff. Yeah, you're right. But it'll be a fun episode when we get to it at the end. That's for sure. Okay, next week we're continuing on with a little bit of festival stuff. They will be in Krakow very soon in Poland. And probably if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the following day. And next week we have a Patreon request that we've been waiting on for a while that we're going to do from the Opener Festival in 2010, which happened in Gidnia, Poland. And we will be joined by Anita Stelmasiek, who is the creator of the grunge zine that comes out every couple months. And she does a great job with that and has a big presence on Instagram as well. So we'll get to hear from her. She'll talk about her experience because she is from Poland. So we'll get to hear a little bit about what it was like being a Pearl Jam fan out there and having rare instances where they could see them. But it'll be a good perspective to get. So excited for that and then we'll have one more festival before getting into all sorts of things in august so lots of things to be excited about folks pick yours i'm excited about all of it i hope you are too because then we can share the same excitement but this is where we close the show this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways i miss you already and i miss you always If you want to support the show, then head over to Apple Podcasts, head over to Spotify, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, let other people know what you think about the show, and that will impact them, and maybe they will become listeners as well. It's always good to have word of mouth. For anybody that's been following along on Twitter and on Facebook, you guys are the best. Hope to give you more as the tour goes along. The reaction episodes over at Patreon. Hope to get to see you then. The fucking mosquitoes is making me crazy. This isn't love and peace, it's fucking anarchy.
everybody. Shh. Be quiet. Be very quiet. No, shh. Don't say a word. Just be quiet. You're fucking turning me one in mud hippies. I am not going to become a mud hippie. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I don't want to be a mud hippie like you. can of worms with that one, didn't I? The song is called My Name is Mud. But keep the mud to yourself, you son of a bitch. You know, when you throw things up on stage, it's a sign of small and insignificant genitalia.